0: can be seated. So one of my favorite uh, things when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys can relate with this or not, was waiting. Um, not really waiting. The expectation of Christmas. Um, the waiting part was hard, but the expectation of Christmas was was really, really, really awesome, right? Because when we get close to Christmas, I remember my family had um, this like candy cane thing that hung on the wall with Santa Claus at the top, and you'd have 30 candy canes. And each day, we would untie a little can of cane, and then that would get closer and closer and closer to Christmas or Santa Claus. Um, And I remember how hopeful I was, um, and I don't know, who in here can relate with, like, Christmas night now, it might not be the same right now, um, but when you were a kid, like, having a hard time falling asleep because you were so excited about the hope of getting whatever awesome gift the next morning, right? I remember doing that all the time. In fact, I remember probably the last... Christmas that I did that um, was Christmas right after I got my N64, which most of you guys don't know what that is. That's okay. Um, And I remember I had asked for multiple games for the N64. Uh, I was probably like seventh, eighth grade, something like that. Um, and I remember being so hopeful that my parents would get me those things. Um, and and I had had time and time and time again where I got excited about Christmas. Christmas got there. And without fail, I had the hope that my parents would get me what I wanted. And for the most part, the vast majority of the time, it was the case. They got me what I wanted. Um, obviously, we had a budget and stuff. But they got me most of what I wanted. And so it never seemed to fail. And that hope was so important. And even to today, um, when I'm 32 years old, I still have glimmers of that um, with Christmas. Like I still have a hope that Christmas is going to be as like, okay, this sounds kind of weird, but like magical as it used to be. Um, that Christmas is going to be just as much fun, and like like I feel like that anything is possible, right? With that hope, and 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 it reminds me of how powerful hope is. It reminds me of how Important it is that regardless of what's going on in my world, that hope can be this thing that puts wind in my sails. I mean, I could have been having a terrible semester in school, and yet Christmas was down the road, and the hope of Christmas kept me going, okay? And and, and so the reason that I want to share that with you and the reason that I want to highlight the importance of hope is that tonight we're going to talk about a true hope that is way, way, way bigger than Christmas. Um, and we live in a world that is in desperate need of it. We live in a world that desperately needs a message of hope. You do not have to uh, look at the news for very long to figure that out. You do not have to walk your hallways in your school to figure that out. Are we not searching and searching and searching for that next thing that's going to give us hope? Because life is hard sometimes. Things are hard. And ever since the fall, ever since sin entered the world, ever since there was a broken relationship between us and God, things were not what they were meant to be. There are glimmers of the hope. There are glimmers of of heaven that break into our reality at times, and it's those things that we tend to chase after. But for the most part, we know deep down in our hearts and our guts that this world, this reality, isn't what we were designed for. That there's got to be something more. That, that 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 this this desire in my heart, this hope in my heart for eternity, has to be connected to something bigger. It has to be. And 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 we in the church feel this. But you don't have to um, uh, like go too far to figure out that the world. Um, is also chasing after various things um, that they're trying to satisfy, um, that they're, they're trying to hold on to for hope. You look at um, people that are going clubbing or that you know are, are drinking a lot of alcohol or that are doing the party scene or people that are trying to fulfill that in um, a relationship or people that are trying to fulfill that in success or money or whatever, that, that the world is chasing after these things hoping that they're going to satisfy what they're longing for. But... We know also, as Christians, that ultimately those things are temporary and that they aren't going to fully satisfy them. And, and, and what we're going to talk about tonight is transmitting the message of hope that we have been given by God and through Jesus Christ by transmitting that to the people around us. Okay? So so God has transmitted a message of hope to us that isn't meant just to be kept to ourselves. It's meant to be to be transmitted to the people around us. And so, um, if you guys have your sheets, go ahead and pull them out with pens. Um, and the first uh, um, slide on there is that the world needs a message of hope, um, and the church has this message. Is that no, no, oh no, okay, all right, all right. Here's here's what's going to happen. I updated this at my house. The cloud obviously didn't sync. Okay. okay, that's okay. So I'm going to leave it on this, and I'm going to I'm going to preach through it. So you're going to have to pay close attention. Okay. All right. No wait. Let me see that thing. Yeah, transmission part one. Let me see here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you. No, no, no. It did update. Okay, we're 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 good. That was just not on your sheet, okay? So the world needs a message of hope, and the church has this message that is not also not on your sheet, okay? Freak out. Um, the church um, has this message. So God transmitted to us. We have this message, and God transmitted this message quote the gospel uh, to the church two thousand plus years ago. And really, He transmitted this message. Um, he began transmit, transmitting it from the garden. But, but it specifically used the, the Jewish nation to transmit the message of hope, reconciliation, and redemption to them. Okay? And you remember, if you've been down here at all, we talked about how God chose them to be His special people. But He didn't do that just so that they could pat themselves on the back and say, oh, well, we're awesome because God chose us. No, He was gonna bless them so that they would bless other nations. And the way that he was going to bless them was he's going to choose them, set them apart in everything about their culture, everything about what they did with their family, what they did with work, what they did as a nation, even how the nation was ruled, what they did in um, in, in church. It wasn't church back then, but what they did in, in church, um, that all of it was undergirded by a foundation of a message of hope, that God is making a way to be in right relationship with him again because sin has broken that. And that's the gospel, right? The sin has broken our ability to be in a right relationship with God. But not only did we lose the right relationship with God, but we lost the ability to have true and genuine hope and, and to have true and genuine life in this life. But God moves on our behalf. He, he transmits a message, not so that we can be selfish and it to ourselves, but that we can share it with the world around us. And so he, it's so cool because the Jewish nation, everything that they did was set up in such a way where the other nations around them would look at them and kind of like be like, why are you doing that? It, it was intentional, very intentional, everything that they did um, uh, down to like literally the way that their nation was ruled. Um, and, and they did that so that he, they would be a light and an example to the nations around them and that ultimately God would use them as a people to transmit the message of hope. To the people around them. You guys following me? So, so he started doing this 4,000, you know, thousands of years ago, but specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ he transmitted to us 2,000 plus years ago. Obviously through his son Jesus Christ, who is God, who came to earth, who lived among us for 33 years and was put on a cross for our sins. So this message is transmitted to this ragtag group of guys, a few ladies, some, some other people that maybe aren't even mentioned, but this small group of people, it's transmitted to them. Jesus walks and lives life with them, and he transmits the gospel. And then at the end of his ministry, this is what we see him commanding them to do with that. He didn't come to Peter. He didn't come to John. He didn't come to all these disciples so that they could feel good about themselves because Jesus chose to hang out with them in the time that he was doing his public ministry. No, he had a mission beyond that. And it's the same mission that he has for us as the church. Okay? And so um, in, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and Acts 1.8, we see some of Jesus' last words. Let me read these to you. Um, Jesus commanded them to transmit this message. He said, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he's talking to his disciples here. And, and in short, I know that you guys have heard this, but, but think about this. The disciples had, had lived life with Jesus. They're this young group of guys, not really knowing what's about to happen. And he comes and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and as you're going, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, That's what I want you to do. Like, I want you to be on mission everywhere that you go. And and, and, and I think that it's important because a lot of times we look at the Great Commission and leave out that verse before, that verse 18, um, that Jesus isn't saying go and do it because you're gifted. He isn't saying go and do it because you're the best leaders. Go and do it because you're going to figure out a way. No, he said all authority has been given to me on heaven and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you're going in my authority. But he takes it a step further because even at that, like it's a very daunting task to say, hey, take this gospel that I've now transmitted to you and go transmit it to the world around you in a very real and raw way. So in Acts eight, we also see, and, and Pastor Kenneth talks about this a lot in our mission um, uh, emphasis here, but we see Jesus saying, um, there's another piece to this. It's not just going in my authority. It's also going in the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so in this he's saying that, that, listen, the Holy Spirit's gonna come to you. The same Holy Spirit that raised me from the dead. He's gonna give you power and you're gonna go out and be able to accomplish this mission of transmitting the message of the gospel to, to literally Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, he's moving out, into the ends of the earth. That was a huge deal. Huge deal. And you can imagine, again, the daunting feeling that these guys probably felt because at this point they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. But the daunting feeling of, you want us to do what? To transmit all that you've transmitted to us, to the people around us, to the ends of the earth? And he's saying, no, you're going to go in my authority, because I've been given authority in heaven and on earth, and you're going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in that you're going to start living out community in a way that's going to transmit this message in the same way that the Jewish nation did. Now, they were, you know, obviously they got off track at times. But but the Christian church that he was birthing in this moment, this infant church, he he was going to make another community that was centered around God and God's mission to be a light and an example to the people around them, to the world around them. And so, so what I want to do tonight, as we're thinking about what it looks like for us as a church, for you guys as individuals to transmit this message of the gospel to people around us, this is not standing on the street corner outside of Winter Jam saying you're all sinners and you're going to hell holding up pictures of aborted babies. This is not that. That is hate. I don't know why I just brought that up. I'm just thinking of some <laughs> evangelist, evangelism that I've seen. That I'm just like, what is wrong with you? No, it's much more beautiful, much more dynamic, and I'm hoping that as we paint this picture tonight that you're going to see this and you're going to be able to set what, what you experience in the Christian church next to what the early church looked like. And, and this is not a bashing, the church, but I think that it's important for us to line it up and to say, okay, where can we grow? Where can we grow as a student ministry? Where can you grow as an individual? Where can we grow as a church? Where can we grow as a big C church? Okay, so um, here's what happens. Jesus gives them that, uh, that he says, go to the ends of the earth, okay? And then he ascends, and then they go and they start praying, and then the Holy Spirit comes. Now, there's hundred about 120 believers at that point, okay, all together. And this is what happens, okay? The Holy Spirit comes in power. He fills them with power. Okay? They go out and they start speaking in different languages. It's during the Passover, so there's all sorts of nations that have gathered in Jerusalem. And they start speaking with power, especially Peter. He gives this sermon. And 3,000 people, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ on that first day. So it goes from 120 ragtag, you know, different people from different walks of life, to 3,000 people believing in Jesus Christ. 120 people, specifically a few guys, that the Holy Spirit come upon them, and then God gave them the power and the authority to transmit that message to 3,000 people. And so so that's where we're at. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2. Okay, This is after the 3,000 have come to um, belief in Jesus Christ. Um, and what I want to do is I'm going to read this passage. Sorry if I haven't been clicking through these. Um, I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to... Uh, look at different characteristics of, of what the early church, um, was doing as a community and why living in that type of community was an example to the world around them and that it helped them transmit the message outward because that community was an attractive thing to the people around them. Okay. And so, um, so in Acts chapter two, verse 42, and we're going to read the verse 47, it says this, all the believers devoted themselves Oh, I'm sorry. Let me call a timeout. I'm going to click through these so that I catch up with the slides. Okay? Um, so what did uh, this practically look like? Another one was how uh, is the gospel transmitted? So let me jump back up because I skipped a verse. How is the gospel transmitted? Um, John thirteen thirty five. This is one of my favorite verses because I think it's so cool um, the way that Jesus puts this. It says, "...your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples." Okay, so we talked about it down here. The primary indicator, is, though it's very important to love others, don't get me wrong, but the primary indicator in the way that people are going to know that you're a disciple of Christ is the way that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So the way that we do community, the way that we care for one another within the church, is a primary example to the world around us of, of what it looks like to live underneath God's banner. To live in a way that we're full of hope, full of joy, full of love. And so so it's super important for us to, to step back and to question, like, are we doing that well? If somebody was to, to walk in this room tonight, okay, they've never been here before, would they experience something unique? Would they experience something that's deep, a community that's caring and loving? Would they experience that? I'm not going to answer that question for you guys. But... Um, would they experience that? And would they see the love that we have for one another and be drawn in towards that? Okay, so what does this practically look like, this love for one another? Now, we're going to look at some very practical things that the early church did um, in Acts that were practically loving one another. Um, so now we're going to go to Acts two forty two through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer a deep sense of awe came over them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonder. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So I know that that was kind of a a lot, okay? So what I want to do is I want to highlight six ways, six ways that the early church practically did what we just looked at in John, um, that they loved one another and cared for one another in such a way that that community was a shining example to the world around them that drew them in like bugs to a light, okay? Because they're longing for that. We all are. Okay, so the first thing that we see is in verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, uh, uh, to the apostles' teaching. So, um, so in, uh, Acts, goodness gracious. I'm so sorry. Uh, that's supposed to say 42A, I think. No, there we go. See? <laughs> When I have it in my head, I don't, I don't rely on this as much anymore, so I don't really remember how I put this in there. Um, so now we're at the right place. Okay. So, um, study. Uh, Acts 2.42a. <clears throat> so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and study. They, they knew that they didn't know everything. They had been transmitted this gospel that Jesus came and made a way for them to be in the right relationship with God, but they didn't know everything. They, they didn't know everything, and they knew that the apostles had teachings that would be helpful in them starting to walk this out. They knew the hope that they had received in Jesus. They knew the power that they had received in Jesus, but there was much more to be done. And you see in this passage that they did this almost on a daily basis, where they submitted themselves to teaching, where they submitted themselves to study. This is rigorous. This is not a um, come whenever you want to and, and consume whatever you want to and just go to somebody else if you get tired with this creature over here. Now, this is a, an intentional, you know, we're submitting to the authority of the church. We're submitting to the authority of the apostles. We're submitting to their teaching because they know more than we do. We're submitting to them because they walk with Jesus Christ. And they're going to teach us and they're going to continue to transmit more and more and more of the gospel to us. Because you have the core of the gospel that is absolutely beautiful, but then there's all these different dynamics and all these different beautiful, it's like turning a, a diamond and seeing it in a different way. It's just beautiful whenever you have more knowledge to compound on top of that. Because you start seeing things that you didn't see earlier. doesn't mean that you weren't saved, but you start seeing things that are are beautiful and intoxicatingly um, um, unique. Okay, And so they devoted themselves to the study of, of uh, God's word and the teachings of the apostles. And and again, it was rigorous. Like, almost on a daily basis, they went to the temple and listened uh, to the apostles' teaching. Almost on a daily basis, they got together, and they shared meals together, which is the next thing that they did, um, which was community um, or fellowship. Okay, fellowship is kind of like a turkey book. But community. And they did this so well. So this is really the overarching um, thing that they did. They were living life together. This was not a, we're just getting together because we're supposed to because it's nine o'clock on Sunday morning, okay? I don't. Again, I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, I'm just saying that, that they were doing way more than that. They were doing way more than even if you got together twice a week, or whoa, three times a week. It's not that those, that's bad, but they were living life day in and day out with one another, and because of that... They obviously were getting to know one another on a much deeper level, and they held in common the gospel of Jesus Christ that that, that was a glue that held them together. And so they were doing community well. Um, in 42b, it says this, um, after they had uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You can take that apostles' teaching out. So they also devoted themselves um, to the fellowship um, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and a the prayer. They were doing what? They were like hanging out with one another. It was more than just going to church for them. That was a part of it. That was an important part because the study was was needed. But an even more important part was this fellowship part and, and being together and sharing the, uh, the Lord's Supper together and remembering what the Savior had done for them. So the third thing that, um, that you can see in here is in 243, it says, a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So there were signs that accompanied this group of people. Now, I'm not going to get into some sort of theological debate right now about whether the apostolic age, when it ended, then signs and wonders ended. I don't, that's not the point here. Okay? The point is, is that the Holy Spirit was moving with power in this community. The point is, is that, that the, the Holy Spirit and the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit drew people's attention. Now, now, there was a reason for that. It's not just the people Go to the sign, and they just want to see signs. We see that throughout Scripture, especially in Jesus' ministry, when there's a sign, it's pointing to something. So the signs were being used um, by God in His grace and in His providence to draw people in and to add to their numbers on a daily basis. So my question is, I don't know about you guys, I don't know if you've um, ever seen somebody healed or whatever, it's not, like again, I'm not going to try to make an argument for or against that, but what I am going to make an argument for tonight is that the power of the Holy Spirit should be evident in a believer's life. That does not always mean that it's external. It definitely means that it's internal. It definitely means that there's a transformed heart and a transformed life. So I ask you... Like, have you experienced that type of transformation in your life? Have you experienced that type of power in your life? In the way that you're living life, would somebody look at that and say, they couldn't do that apart from God's power and God's strength? That, again, doesn't mean necessarily that it has to be some sort of overt sign. But it could be that you're you're enduring in a trial and in a painful season in a way that somebody without Jesus Christ couldn't do. It could be the way that you treat your parents, even though like you don't think that they deserve the respect, that you still show them respect and you don't talk trash about them behind their back and your friends look at you and they think that you're weird. It could be that, that the way that you share about the love that you have for Jesus Christ in your schools, that people maybe make fun of you and yet you continue to do it. But, but there's got to be some sort of power because the Holy Spirit, the dynamite power that brought Jesus back from the grave, he lives and resides in each believer. So, where is that power being evident in your life? Where is it, where's it evident in my life? It was evident in the, the, the early church in a lot of different ways. And so this was a, a way that they, um, that they uh, depicted, again, um, what the gospel was. The uh, fourth one is serving. And I'm going to put this together with giving as well, which is the next one. Because I think these two go together. Um, so in verse 44 and 45 it says... And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Okay. Cool. Imagine if that actually happened today. I mean, like, like, do you think that that would be like a what? Like, it would be crazy to me and I'm in the church, Right? But but they saw that they were called to love one another and care for one another and serve one another and give out of, out of a sacrificial way in order for other people's needs to be met. That they, would, that they would see a need and that they would sell something and they would come and they would give the money to the apostles and the apostles would use that money to meet that need. That's very, very um, uh, awe-inspiring. And and yet, like it's, it wasn't out of a place. Obviously, it wasn't out of a place of like obligation. Well, you know, Frank sold his property, so I got to sell my property too. No, there was a joyfulness in this. There was there was a wanting that, that that we want to lay our stuff down so that we can better our brother or sister in Christ, because because we've received a hope that goes far beyond all the wealth in the world. That goes far beyond all the security in the world. And if I sell my stuff and I give it to Frank, let me—I—I'd be willing to bet that Frank, if I was in need, that he would do what he needed to do um, in order for me to be taken care of. Now, you imagine this type of community living life together with the world around them. It's not like that—they were in this little like bubble. They were hanging out with other people too, the world around them, and having conversations about what was going on in this community. And you—you—you—you would be naive to think that even in the early Roman, Greco-Roman culture that they were in, that that people weren't drawn into that. Like It it would be intoxicatingly beautiful today, especially in American culture, but it was definitely intoxicatingly beautiful in their day, and, and God had called them to do that, so they served and they gave sacrificially to one another. So, question, where are we doing this? How are we doing this? As Christians? Now, Hear me when I say this, I know things have gotten a little bit more complex and I get that like, there's ways to give that, that aren't necessarily people like right in our little community. I get that. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to guilt anybody right now. But, I am trying to line up what was going on in the early church with what's going on right now and wondering if it looked more like this, how the culture around us would respond differently. I don't know. I would assume that they would be attracted to it. Now hear me. I get that it's still offensive to some people, regardless, and that there's some people that would be turned off by the gospel, period. But this is this was one of the primary ways that um, that these people transmitted the gospel to other people. They like lived life together differently, and the world wanted that. So they got close, and not like a bug zapper that kills a bug, they got close to the, to the life, and then they drew them in, and they shared the gospel, and they transmitted that message to them, and then those people also did that, and did that, and did that. 2,000 plus years later, here we sit. It's really amazing. Okay, and then last one, the um, last little characteristic is worship. In verse 47b, uh, no, 40, 46 um, and 47, it says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying goodwill. Of all people. So they worship. I think sometimes we get this confused with singing songs. Okay? That's a part of worship. It is. But getting together at a a church and worshiping, like in the traditional sense, singing songs and, and studying God's Word, like that was important. But you have to understand, these people's lives were utterly transformed and changed by the Gospel. They were so in awe and so thankful of what God had given them and done for them in understanding that the natural progression would be worship constantly, giving thanks to God. Whether we're together, whether I'm alone, whether we're in a small group, whether we're meeting together to do the Lord's Supper in our houses, whether we're getting together for a meal, we're worshiping God because we're celebrating the mess out of the fact that God did what He did for us. It's not this rote thing that we have to do it's a, it's a, it's a overflow of our heart when we understand the gospel. We worship. Like we worship. And so, so I wonder, <laughs> like I wonder how different our lives would look if we were, um, uh, joyful and, and, constantly in a place of, of worship instead of, well, we're just turning on the switch while we're at church and then we're going to turn it off and turning on the switch while we maybe drive down the road turning it off. Okay, hear me when I say this, I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but this was a lifestyle for them. It was not a, I'm going to do this between this time and this time. Because it was life transforming. Okay. So, um, those are the six characteristics, characteristics. Study, community, sign, serving, giving, and worship. And as they were living out life together, as they were living out this community together, God blessed them, and the message was transmitted. The message was transmitted to them. They started living out that community together. The message continued to be transmitted because God was blessing them. Um, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, continuing to change hearts. And Acts 2.47 says um, at the end of that, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day were being saved, baptized and brought into that fold, brought into that community. It wasn't some sort of exclusive club. It was it was we're living life man. we're celebrating the mess out of it because guess what? regardless of what's going on, God has saved my soul and that, that there's bigger things going on than, than what you guys maybe are chasing after and that there's a bigger hope going on than, than the wealth or the security or the family or whatever. and we are excited about that. We are, we are celebrating that. And so God helped them transmit the message as they were living out that type of community. So I ask you guys, what about you and what about me? Like, okay, well, let me try to simplify this. I promise I'm almost done. Don't do don't me out of here because I'm going to try to simplify this. Okay. God transmits the gospel to us. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, and, and, and he gives us an option. Gives us an opportunity to receive the gospel. Not not just praying a special prayer, but truly receiving it and in and, and ingesting it and allowing it to be a part of us in us announcing to the world that we believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. We believe that the gospel is the only true hope in this world. And to in the age to come. So so we accept that. So 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 then God. In his divine providence, okay, you see this pattern with the church and with the Jewish nation. Live differently. Live this way. Live in a way where where you're pursuing true life. Where you're loving with all of your heart. Where you're giving sacrificially. Where you're following what I've commanded you to follow because it is best for you where you discipline yourself in the rigors of study because you know that that's what you need, where you're pushing back against what your flesh wants and instead choosing to live for the kingdom of God, where you're not finding your primary identity in being American or being Jewish, but you're finding your primary identity in being a part of God's kingdom and His will. So so you see the pattern. And then, then he says, okay, now go. Go and live that type of life daily with the people around you. It won't be easy, but you have brothers and sisters in Christ who will who will encourage you and continue to support you. And as you continue to submit yourself to the teachings of my word, as you continue to walk that out and live a life of love with one another, even though it's messy and hard, the world will notice. They will. And they'll take notice, and yes, there will be some that will reject you. Yes, there will be some that will persecute you. But there will also be a lot of people that will be attracted to that because their hearts are longing for the hope and the community and the belonging that you found in the family of God, because they were designed for that. You see, see how beautiful that is? It, it's not perfect, but as we're living as the family of God, we're living out an example of what every soul is designed for. So no wonder people would be drawn into that. No wonder their soul's longings would look at that and say, man, there's something about that that seems much deeper than how much money I have in my wallet right now. There's something about that in the community that they have that I wish I had when I was going through that season. There's something about that and the truth and the hope that they have that I can't understand when I'm sitting next to a casket and they they can still have hope. There's something about that that I want where this lady that has lived her entire life and she's like 85 years old and yet still so beautifully um, um, in love with God and have fullness of life, I want that. Or maybe it's the people that don't have the beautiful life up here, but the people that have the life that is terribly hard, but they continue to persevere through the suffering. And people look at it and they're amazed at it. Or why would it be that this person would fly a plane around, try to drop gifts down to this, this aboriginal tribe, I don't know if it was aboriginal, but this tribe, and then, then go down and actually try to make contact with them, and, and these men were murdered, and then their families go back to the tribe later. Like, like that blows my mind, but it doesn't blow my mind when I understand the gospel. When I actually have that in my heart and I'm realizing it, I'm not assuming it and taking it for granted, like, oh, well, it's just church. No, it's not just church. No, it's not just an activity that I do. Absolutely not. If it is, then I've missed the point. So it makes sense. If I understand the gospel, I'm not taking it for granted. I'm living out life and living out community with people that also understand the gospel. That that's exactly what God wants us to do because we're in the midst of life, we're in the midst of the world, and this world is longing for a message of hope, and we are carriers of it. And so we go, and like uh, C.S. Lewis said, that we give them a good infection. But there's a good infection, and when they get close to us, they begin to get infected and begin to get um, infected with the gospel. And it takes a little bit of time, but man, God will awaken their hearts and that they will believe. Because it's good and it's true and it's right and it's real. So, what about you guys? There might be some people in this room that, that have not had the gospel transmitted to them. I'm not judging you. But I would encourage you that if that's you, that, that you would consider what Jesus Christ has done for you. That you would consider the hope that, 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 that we have as Christians in Jesus Christ and what God has done on our behalf. And if you have questions about that, then the leaders or myself are more than happy to talk with you about what that looks like. But for a lot of you guys in this room, you you have the gospel transmitted to you, and maybe you're like me and you're taking it for granted. I know that that's a lot of times where I'm at. I just take it for granted. I assume it. That's eh, the gospel, right? Like I know it. I I I, I accepted Jesus, you know, decades ago. But if that's you, then my question would be, If your life, is your life a transmission of the gospel? Notice I did not ask you, are you going out and evangelizing your friends? Now, there's, there's a time and a place for di- directly speaking to people about the gospel. There is a time and a place for that. But if we miss the, the living life with one another and living in such a way that God's called us to, as the the light on the hill that can't be hidden. Um, that 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 like we aren't called to go and to cram something down somebody's throat because of like whatever reason. We're called to live for something more. So I put um, is your life transmission the gospel? Like, are you infecting people with the gospel by the way that you're living day to day life? It's a hard question to ask myself. Hard question to ask you guys. So, last uh, question is, is that the world, I mean, it's really a statement and a question. The world is in need of the message God has transmitted to you. But will you transmit that message to those around you? It's not easy. And this is way more, way bigger than going out and doing um, some sort of evangelism thing like one time. This is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, life-on-life. I'm living life with you guys, showing love to you guys. You show love to me. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to live for Christ, and the people around us are infected by that. That's messy. It's hard. Way easier to come in here, because it's 6 o'clock, Wednesday, 6 o'clock to 7.15, to go through the motions, head out the door, and just forget. It's to have. Very shallow connection with the people in this room. And it just kind of, like, this is what we do. It's just habit. Again, it's better that you're here, going through the motions, than not here. But my hope and my heart is, is that as you guys uh, get to know one another and understand the gospel more fully, is that, that this place would be a place of deep, deep connection and community for you. Not just for you, but as you do that you're inviting people in and they see that and they're attracted to that. So what's the practical step? Community groups. If you haven't been involved in community groups, um, we have those every Sunday night. They are the place for you to start learning what this type of community looks like. It's Bigger than just the community groups, but when you get in a small group setting like that and you're able to look eye-to-eye with somebody and actually hear what's going on in their life, it changes things a whole lot in this scenario right now where we're sitting in rows, you're listening to me talk, tuning me out half the time, and then we get up and you guys talk about something that you talked about at school. Those community groups are intended for you guys to dive deep with one another. And so if you haven't been involved, I highly encourage you to be involved in one of those. Um, that would be a very practical way to put this lesson um, into action. Okay? If you do have any questions about the gospel, um, and you don't feel like that's been transmitted to you, please talk to me or one of the leaders tonight and we'll be happy to talk to you about that, okay? Let me pray and then um, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for um, each student in this room and uh, the time you've given us together. I pray that you would allow this message to penetrate our hearts, including my own, and that we would um, try our best to just live out uh, your authority and, in the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently with one another. God, I pray that you would increase the connection and the love um, between us in this room, that your spirit would be between us, that there would not be any type of division or any type of phoniness or fakeness, that, God, we would lay that down at the door, and when we come together, um, that your love would permeate um, every conversation that we have in the time that we have together. We love you, we praise you, and um, we pray, Lord, that you be glorified in all we do as a student master In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys.